What's happening, Black Healing Matters family? Danielle here, the Black Healing Matters podcast, where we offer you ideas to hopefully move you one step closer to your healing. Happy Thursday to you. And on this Thursday, I am in New York. On today's Doing the Right Things Thursday, then, you're going to hear from Dr. Claude Anderson, author of Powernomics, and he's on tour right now with Dr. Boyce Watkins. So, Black Healing Matters family, enjoy. As always, stay blessed. Black Healing Matters. Jamil Frederick Cotman asks, how can Blacks play the game of economics as a team when most Blacks don't want to participate? Uh, that's, that, that should be a, a difficult question to answer. First of all, Black folks have to understand what racism and economics is. See, racism is a team sport. The rule is that either you play as a team or you lose. But more importantly, economics. Again, racism is also economics-based. It has nothing to do with just getting along with people and being happy. But on the other side, blacks don't have to be have every black to participate with them. Get as many as you need, as you can get your hands on, and start to practice in group economics. And see, and because, see, economic power and economic prosperity flows from the group. It doesn't make any difference how well one black does or what in terms of acquiring wealth and money. It's not what one individual has it on, it's what the group owns and controls. See, what makes Jews very powerful in this country and around the world, is not what one Jew owns or what one Jew controls, is what they own and control as a group. Black folk have to understand that they must control as much as possible as a group if they're gonna play in the game. Now, as you as you question, there are a lot of blacks who wanna play in a, in a, in a race-based, team-based sport as an individual. But if you don't play as a team, you're going to lose by default. That's like my going out on a football team and facing another team that's got 11 members on the team, and I'm up there by myself trying to play, play against them on a football field, one man against a whole team. You'll never win. You're going to lose. And black folk must understand those two things, what racism is. Racism is a team sport, and racism is about acquiring economic wealth and power. The second question comes from Paris Brantley. He asks, do you think it would be advantageous of us as black people to push our own immigration agendas like the Hispanics, only ours would push the immigration of Africans from all over the diaspora? Well, you most certainly, blacks should have been doing that for about the last 500 years. But to do that, they got to go back and address one thing that's critically important. That is a, this, nation's, this nation's immigration policies that were put in effect back in 1790. The first thing that Congress did when it came into existence, one year after they approved the United States Constitution, they set up a ranking order of acceptability called a National Immigration and Nationalization Policy that defined how people are going to immigrate and migrate into this country. Europeans had a wide open gate. They can come in as, as, as Europeans, white Europeans, in any quantity and number, anytime they wanted to, in and out. Then they, but, but the, but the uh, immigration color coding went starting with white, yellow, brown, black, from the highest to the lowest. If white you were at the top, open door integration. As you went down and began to close up, you got down to the bottom, which was blacks on the bottom, it was totally closed. You could not come into here in this country as a black person unless you came in as a slave. That's why that immigration policy stayed in effect up until about 1965. They're still using it, but they're still, but they are tricking and, 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 and the bamboozling blacks right now in the present immigration policy. That's why you can't get Haitians into the country. Now what the, the new policy says is that, yeah, we are, <clears throat> We shut black folk out of the immigration policy and kept them as a minority because we needed to use them. Minority has no power. A minority has no wealth and no and no and no uh, 
no competitiveness in a society. And they kept black folks immigration even from 1920s all the way up to the 1960s at less than one half or one percent. But in 1960, with the new immigration policy, what they did, they said, well, we'll let immigrants come in now. We'll change the policy now. Instead of totally shutting black folk out, what we have based the policy on is this, is that you can come into America now based on how many relative or family members you have into the country. And we have, and you will use a percentage of that. Now, what, what does that say? That says that black folk were shut out for all those centuries and never had anybody coming in. Their numbers are almost zero. But you get what you get here, but, but, but by the same token, you got Hispanics to answer your question, running in here in the five to 6,000 per night. That's why in 1860, you only had 4,000 Hispanics in the United States. And, but you had four, almost five million black folk in the United States. By 1900, you had, you had 100,000 Hispanics in the United States, but you had 12 million black folk. But black folk were frozen because their population comes only from how much by birth, how many babies they can have. But Hispanics went from, from 100,000 in 1900 up to the present time in 2016. They went all the way up to now to almost 55 million Hispanics. That means that they had, where black folks' population based on immigration, only uh, and immigration and birth, natural birth, went up over 300%. But Hispanics coming across the borders, their immigration numbers went up over 55,000%. And that's why now they displace black folk. They are now the majority minority, and black folk are kicked out of being second-class citizens. Blacks are now third-class citizens. Black folk in a world of trouble. They got to go back and check those immigration laws and demand this country change those immigration laws that they put in effect initially in 1790, and they modified them with a flip-back, double-back, under-the-table deal where black folk are still kept as a permanent minority in society where the majority will win and rule and the minority will lose and suffer. Blacks are the only permanent minority losers in the country. Dr. Anderson, what do you think the significance is of Britain leaving the EU? Oh, I think that's a great significance, not only for our, for international purposes, but also uh, for any countries that are not in the European on the European continent, and, uh, and has even greater importance for Black folk in America, since Black people in this country and around the world have always been outside and underneath the system, politically speaking, and so this is of great importance. You see, Britons are pulling out of pulling out of uh, of, of uh, Europe, the European unity. Was one of the predictions I made back in about 1997 in my book, Black Labor, White Wealth, and Powernomics. I predicted that in the 21st century there will be a, a balkanization of nations around the world, where all nations are going to start competing for the ownership and control of land, resources, and power, along religious lines, ethnic lines, and class lines, and that's what's happening. And see, the Britain. Right now, they just voted to say, let's pull out of, out of the European uh, unity because they are fearful of two things. One is the unending influx of immigrants into the country that are displacing the, Britain, the British population. And, the, and I'm sure you're going to have other nations following suit, like, like Sweden, you got like, uh, Portugal, like Italy, like Spain, and like Greece. They're going to pull out. They're going to start building fences around their country. So we don't want any more people coming in here and displacing our population and overburdening our social system and our educational system. And then when that happens in Europe, that same thing is going to happen in the United States. 
and starting with some of our Western states, like Texas, for instance. Texas is already given, coming up with what, instead of a, a Brit exit, you're going to have a Tex exit, which means Texas is going to try to pull, succeed from the United States unity. Because people in Texas right now are totally dissatisfied with the unending influx of immigrants coming into, from across the Mexican border into Texas. And some of the other states like Arizona and New Mexico have the same concerns. And as they begin to pull out, what's going to happen is the United States is going to have major problems based on what they're going to do about blocking the borders and stopping the immigrants from coming in. Now, for black folk, what's going to happen is that while everybody else is building barriers and barricades to protect themselves from outsiders, the most wide open areas in the United States are in black communities, are black neighborhoods, because we don't even have communities. Because, see, whites and other groups, they, they block off and lock up and, 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 uh, and identify their communities and build structures around them. Where you go to Chinatown, Chinatown might have a great big uh, 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 signs and, 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 and artifacts saying, this is Chinatown. I can go to the mid and out to Beverly Hills. The Beverly Hills is going to have guards and security guards and gates and uh, saying, hey, we don't want anybody to come into Beverly Hills without being watched and overlooked. But see, in black communities, black communities are totally wide open. Anybody can go into a black community, a black neighborhood. I keep using the word community, but we don't really have any communities. They're not communities. We have neighborhoods. You can go into any black neighborhood in America. It's totally wide open. You can go in there at night and dump garbage on, 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 on the streets. You can dump it on vacant lots. You can go in there and run drugs. You can go in there and run prostitution. You can go in there and run stolen hot merchandise. You can do anything in a black neighborhood because there's no barriers that stop you. And black folk need to start getting together and start figuring out what they're going to do to protect themselves while all the other groups and all the other cities and all the other races, even in this country, are beginning to balkanize and protect themselves. As a matter of fact, even if you go in some of the rural areas of America, you can find these groups, some of these white uh, Nazi groups and paramilitary groups watching all the white, all the white neighbor, neighborhoods in these rural areas. They'll have people sitting on the side of the road monitoring traffic coming through and making sure that you're not coming there to do any damage. But nobody's protecting the black communities. You have no black organization, no black politicians trying to stand up and now tell black folk how to protect themselves, secure themselves, and have the necessary services and foods and materials are gonna, that they're going to need to, to, to be able to, to exist and compete in this country. It's coming, but black people are totally unprepared for it. But again, if they were to go back to and start describing and registering for our, our power numbers courses in politics, they will learn some of these things. And they can go to that anytime they want it by going to powernomics.tv and register for these courses. These are academic courses that will teach them everything they need to know about politics and give them, and give them a, a certificate, give them a self-test, and, 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 and champion the causes of political empowerment of black folk in America. Sheila Ellis asks, how can low-income people change their paradigm and shift themselves out of the poverty cycle and into wealth? <laughs> That's a very easy one to answer. All they got to simply do is, 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 is set up a construct where they, where they attract and bring more capital and wealth into their, into their environment, into their, into their uh, milieu. That's an easy one. See, <clears throat> people can, get, people can uh, advance their causes uh, best and quicker by owning a business. A business will attract capital and wealth six to seven times faster than owning a job. 
Most blacks are always trained to go out and look for a job. Blacks are not being trained and acculturated and being acculturated to go out and build businesses. And a business is not designed to increase your, to reduce your poverty level. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, a job is not designed to increase your poverty level. That's what I mean. All a job is designed to do is to maintain you, to keep you one week away from starvation, unemployment, and food stamp lines. You can, if you want to, in, do you want to eradicate or reduce your, your poverty paradigm, you got to learn how to create wealth and get more wealth and, and income. You can do that a number of ways. First of all, you start off by starting building a business and holding the money that you got already. Do not let it out of your hands unless it bounces or out of your race until it bounces eight to twelve times. That's the first thing you do. Secondly, you create businesses that will attract money and wealth into your community and so they can pass through your hands along with everybody else eight to twelve times. In other words, you only had a dollar, you build a business, and you start practicing group economics, and that dollar is circulated eight to twelve times, and one dollar you had now becomes twelve and go up to being twelve dollars. And you multiply and that you so you can multiply your income twelve times. Or you can the last thing you can do, you can go out and out and start printing your own money and get rich off of printing your own money. Uh, but black folk have to learn how to play the game and how you get money and wealth and resources and understand the difference between wealth and income. See, there's a big difference in that. Income is important, but it's not as important as accumulating wealth. Income is what you is the, is the fruits of your labor. And uh, but after you paid your bills, what's left is called wealth. What black folk lack, lack is wealth. They don't have any wealth. They got one half or one percent of wealth. They cannot compete. They cannot survive. They're not going to be able to make it unless they increase wealth. And you can't get wealth by working a job. Only way you can get rich working a job is if you're good at stealing. And we do not have any institutionals to acculturate black children. Now you asked about why earlier. You asked me something about why they don't. Why don't we? How do you treat young five and six year old kids? Oh yeah, the, yeah. Melanie Payne yeah. said, well, "How would you start children under five? out on the path to financial enlightenment. Well, you do the same thing that the Jews take the other groups. They don't take the Jews, for instance. The Jews in their synagogues, they teach their kids starting in, in the early grades at five or six years of age. They tell them up front that you have to own a business. And they say, what, and remember, when you own that business and, and in your communities, that whatever you want to buy in life, is you have to remember first and foremost that someplace a Jew is making it, manufacturing it, and selling it. That's who you buy it from. And see, we don't have that kind of acculturation process in the black community. Or if you go to the Asians, they do the same thing. Asians will teach their kids uh, when they're very small, they get little switches, switch, switch, switch their legs up and punish them. And ask them, what do you want to do in life? There are three steps. They said, what's that? And they said, first, he whip his legs and tell him he has to go to school. And then when he goes to school, he must try strive always to get straight A's in the place he can, get the best grades possible in school. And he does that all the way through school. He, can, he should not be satisfied just getting C's and D's or just getting by he has to get A's, and they learn that. So when, they, when the kid graduates, then they say, now, after that's step one completed. When you graduate, you go out there and you look for a job. You look for a job, you're looking for a job in a specific field. And now, now, watch this. Now, you look for a job first in a specific field. When you get that job, never stay in that job more than about three years. And then you learn, and you learn a, a specific part of that job. You learn one aspect of it. If you learn in the stock room or inventory control, or you're learning management. That's what you learn. You learn that. And after three years is up, you resign from that job and go to another industry, but the same industry, basically. And you go into another section of it. This time you might go into marketing and sales. You learn, and you learn that aspect of it and stay in that job no more than two to three years. So after about five years or six years, a typical Asian kid says, I've gotten the best grades ever since I was small. I've, I've worked in this industry on, on one, in, in one section. I've worked in another section for... And now when I put those two sections together, 
I've now graduated, I'm ready to go to the third level. The third level means that they are now prepared to take a risk. They're going to go out and start their own business. That's how they get into it. And that's why if you look, if you look at the results of this country, one out of every 10 Asians are in business. One out of about every 35 whites are in business. One out of about every 54 Hispanics are in business. But only one out of 105 blacks are in business. You don't have so you cannot transfer the wealth. You can't you can't you cannot change the paradigm because you don't have the structure in place to change the paradigm. You don't have anybody acculturating you. You don't understand what you're doing. You're in a capitalist society, don't even know how to practice capitalism. There's no way you can do it. What you've been taught by your family and your home, your school, and your politicians and your civil rights leader is go out and look for a job and work for somebody else until you get to be old and then you retire and get a watch and go home and sit down and look at TV and drink beer. You can't make it. You can't compete. You're not going to make it. What is my opinion about uh, Attorney General Lynch's um, equating of <clears throat> of transsexuals to uh, rights to uh, to black slaves and civil rights? Yes. Uh, I think it's an insult to black folk. See, all throughout the history of this nation, everybody wants to be able to get any benefits that shouldn't go into black folk without having paid the bill for that. And this has been going. That's why black folk condition never changed, remains unchanged. And that's after 450 years, black folk condition have not changed at all. They're just as bad off, still on the bottom, in rank and acceptability and ownership and control of resources as they were 450 years ago. Because we have public policies that continue to work against black folk. And you got a large contingency of people that are pushing it, promoting it, to make sure that black folk never get any benefits and black folk never become self-sufficient and competitive in society. And that goes back to, back to an 18... And into the uh, 18th century and 1790 with the first immigration laws. Black folk constitutionally were defined as being property, three-fifths of a human being, equal to a field animal, that they could never own anything and control anything, that they ought to be meat for fodder, and that they set up immigration laws saying, asking immigrants from around the world to come to this country <coughs> in a ranking order, of in a descending order of acceptability, on skin color and also on religion and on culture to come to this country and get benefits for what black folk produce. Black folk were the backbones, the economic engines in this country that was building this country. They were the exceptional. They were the people that were doing all the work, the labor. Black people are the ones that built, that picked the cotton, the rice, the indigo. Black people are the ones that built the government buildings. Black people were the people that built the universities. They were the laboring class. And they invited immigrants to come to this country from all around the world. And they came here to get, came here as freeloaders. It's, it's sort of funny and ironic. You see all these whites on TV bragging about they're from Ireland, they're from Italy, they're from Europe, they're from here, they're from Asia, they're from wherever on this earth. Coming here and want to know how they came here and got ahead of black folk. It's very simple. They came here as freeloaders began because they can get take advantage of handicapped black folk in this country. They knew black folk own and control less than one half or 1% of anything of value. That's the first thing. And more importantly, as the best example, is that is that's in the land maldistribution. This nation maldistributed over one billion acres of land into the hands of immigrants coming to this country, from all from Europe and the Middle East and every place else. And that and all that land and benefits came went into their hands, unearned benefits. They didn't come here and buy that land. They came in and got it free. It started with George Washington example. George Washington got one hundred thousand acres of free land. Thomas Jefferson got over hundred thousand acres of free land. Patrick Henry, who screamed about give me liberty, give me death, he got 65,000 acres of free land. Every white person coming to the country <coughs> could get 650 acres of free land. 
and get about another 150 acres of free land for every slave he owned. <clears throat> People that came here started businesses like railroads. Uh, we had about 12 to 20 railroad companies started up. <clears throat> the government gave them six miles of free land on each side of the railroads across the United States, which came out to be like something like about 23 million acres of free land. And later on, that land went up in, in value. Then these railroad lines became multi-rich corporations that began to own mines and gold and silver and farms. <clears throat> all the whites that came here got all kind of free lands. You see on you read on every day on TV about all these ranchers got 20 or 30,000 acre ranches out in the West or farmers out West got all these large, large farms. You don't see any blacks out there with large farms and large ranches because they, though they got their parents and ancestors got it free. Has been passed on from one generation to the next. At birth, the average white child gets 87% of what he needs to compete at birth. The day he's born is what he needs is in, in his community, in his church, in his institution, in his family, in his in his community, and in his universe. And he can get it, get it, and make contact with it anytime he wants to. The benefit. Black folk are carrying the same problem, but in reverse. Black folk didn't inherit any land. Couldn't get any land. They couldn't even get 40 acres of free land. And consequently, they don't own anything. And all that, all that land that whites picked up, with all the gold, silver, chrome, oil, magnesium, balsite, everything that's on that land, has doubled and tripled in value every 20 years. That's why whites now own and control almost 100% of all this nation's wealth and power. Out of an, we live in a nation of about $120 trillion of value, net worth. Black folk just barely own $1 trillion out of $120 trillion. How in the world can black folk compete from for what religious groups that came here, with ethnic groups that came here, all other kind of immigrant groups and classes that came here, or on end once they get here, once they become subcategories like gender classes and other and poverty classes, all competing against black folk. And what this country has done, which is criminal, they have federalized all these people into the country to come in the country above black folk and to compete with black folk for resources. And they get away with it because of our public policy. It is disgraceful. It's a shame. And now you got an attorney general sitting in the, sitting in the Obama administration talking about, well, gender and transaction, we got to look out for them and put them into a protected class. Why don't you put black folk into a protected class? They sold them in a protected class in, in 1865 <clears throat> under the Freedman's Bureau. They were in there for about two years. At that time, it was based on, uh, it was based on the stipulations that came out of the out of the uh, mass, out of the Thirteenth Amendment, <clears throat> which says basically that every level of government was mandated to exercise all means and measures to lift the burdens and legacies off the slave of slavery off the shoulders of black folk. It didn't say anything about lifting off of gays and transgenders and everybody else and people with ing with ingrown toenails. It said off of black folk, and that came out of the 1857 uh, Supreme Court decision, which says that black people in America, that a black man has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. Now, the 1857 Dred Scott decision that says no black man has any rights that a white person is bound to respect, it didn't say anything about genders or about women or about transsexuals or about gays or about Asians or about American Indians, about Arabs or Hispanics. It says the black man. And yet now, every time we look at a public policy, rather than correcting the handicapping conditions that have been put on black folk, where they've been denied resources now for 450 years, instead of delivering those resources to the hands of black folk, and uh, through some kind of reparations or affirmative action, 
They keep broadening and expanding the concept that every time a public policy comes to the table to do something for black folk, they immediately expand it so it includes everybody. And that way black folk get nothing. And black folk better wake up and smell the coffee and say, no, we want specific things. We are tired of affirmative action because women now get about 69% of all the resources and the Hispanics get about 21%. Blacks get practically nothing out of affirmative action. We're going to withdraw from affirmative action. Get out. Black folk need to get out of affirmative action and now they start demanding reparations. Say, we're going back to the, to the beginning. We want to be able to get resources just like everybody else. We still got, we still got about a little less than a, than a billion acres of land in this country. Give black folk the land. Give them the resources, the timber, the gold, the oil, and go back and demand that all these immigrants come to the country and start paying taxes or paying some kind, of, some kind of fixed cost for coming here and enjoying the fruits of black folks' labor. And go back and start questioning all these groups whose ancestors have come here in the last 200 years and got free rides. Every immigrant coming to America who came to America in the last two or 300 years, they were freeloaders. They came here under the American dream, which means go to America and get unearned benefits. And what they meant by unearned benefits in the American dream, which means the American dream was meant you go to America, you can get free Indian land and free black labor. And the American dream was 90% black labor and 10% Indian land. And all the whites in America, all the whites in America right now have benefited from slavery and gotten over on black folk. And keep in mind that it, since, since slavery, all the blacks in America, 99% of all the black people in America right now today, in this 2016 year, 99% of all the black people in America are the direct descendants of slaves, which meant they were here, which meant they, they were here before 99% of all white people arrived. And they are the most patriotic, the hardest working people that built the country. They were the people that developed this nation out of their labor, their sweat, their suffering, their death, and their, and, their, and their denial of human resources. And everybody in this country, all these immigrant groups in this country, are entitled to, 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 to being taxed or, or charged for somehow benefiting black folk, including American Indians who also were slaveholders. Indians have been put into a protected class. White women have been in a protected class since the 1860s. Indians went into a protected class in the 1800s. Black folk need to be put in a protected class. No protected class be set up for genders or for transsexuals. And the worst thing you do is try to pretend that somehow they're equal to black folk. Pretending that all these immigrants groups, these class groups, these fabricated groups like women, gays, midgets, humpbacks, physically disabled people are equal to black folk, that adds insult to injury to black folk. Because you're, giving, you're giving, telling one of the biggest lies that was told, pretending that somehow all people in America have contributed equally to the development of this country. Nothing can be further from the truth. Black folk with a backbone, the engines that drove the development of this nation, they're entitled to be recognized, appreciated, and compensated for what they've done over 450 years. And I tell black folk all over the country, withdraw from affirmative action, move to reparation, and start demanding that you be compensated and that you get some of these free benefits, these unearned benefits that all these immigrants and whites from all these European countries and Asian Arab countries have been getting and American Indians have been getting for, getting for 450 years. To hear Leonard ask, how could black people unite their funds in a super PAC like the Jewish community does? Oh, they can do the same thing that Jews do. Black folk are just as qualified and that have as much opportunity to set up super PACs as, as Jews do. But you got to use the same, same strategy, the same goals. Jews set up theirs around their greatest commonality. The greatest commonality is two things. One, 
is that they belong to the Caucasian race, and secondly, that they ascribe to, to the Judean religion, period. And so they, and they build everything around that. It is st strictly to promote their self-interest, to protect their religion. Blacks have to do the same thing. But blacks will have to say that we're going to set up a super PAC to be able to fund things, but it has to be based on what? On being black and elevating black and black interests. You cannot go there talking about, well, I'm going to have a super PAC, but I'm going to save poor people, midgets, humpbacks, gays, everybody in the world. And black folk have to identify with their greatest commonalities. Their greatest commonality is one, is being black, and two, being the product of centuries of slavery and Jim Crow segregation and need to advance their people. That's what their super PAC must focus on, elevating my people, putting our, our group self-interest first and foremost for any other group, just like the Jews put the Jewish religion and their, their people before any other group and any other religion. Okay, and the second question comes from Melanie Payne. Did you think working in politics gave you a head start on being in business? Uh, not really. It gave me some indications of possibilities because I got a, got a greater exposure to businesses and business opportunities. But, uh, but what we have to understand is that economics must always come before politics. You can't just simply go into politics and try to go into economics. It won't work, especially for a black person. You'll wind up in trouble getting into the criminal roles. See, most whites, if you were to go right now to most elected offices in the United States, probably about 95 to 96 percent of all whites holding elected office are extremely wealthy people. They went in as conservatives, which means they got what they want already. They went into politics to use politics to hold on to it and preserve it. That's the point of politics. Politics is designed to protect and hold on and protect businesses and wealth for those who got it. See, black folk go into politics without any wealth and without any money. They want to go in there doing what? First and foremost, to get a job and to get their picture taken being in, and get some kind of visibility and then hopefully figure out a way they can make money after they get in office. And then nine times out of ten, they get caught trying to use their public office to get money and they wind up going to jail. So first, remember always, politics comes first, comes second to economics. And money comes, money comes to, to, your, to your first, then you use that money to use politics to protect that money. That's why black folk don't have any money. They don't have money, and they, before, they should get it before they go into politics. What's your reaction to Harriet Tubman uh, being on the $20 bill? Uh, I think in, in some ways it's very positive, but ironically it's a, it's a, it's a, hundred and, it's a complete circle because even Harriet Tubman was even alive and, uh, and, and going back and forth trying to rescue blacks from the South, black people were already all over the Southern currency. The, you know, all the Southern currency had pictures of black folk on them as slaves. And uh, so now you have her going to put her on a, on a $20 bill for, again, after slavery ended, you know, 150 years ago, when she was going out trying to, get her, trying, to, trying to rescue them. And he's taking Jackson off. Now, isn't that ironic? Now, here's Jackson. Jackson, one of the biggest races in the history of the nation. He's the one, he's the one that, that, that went into Florida and slaughtered blacks over in, 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 in Fort Negro and in Fort Moultrie, killed two or three hundred black folk, women and children, by invading Florida, which was belonged to Spain. He was the one that killed so many blacks in Florida that they, they created Jacksonville, Florida, named after him, named the city after him. He was the one that started the Trail of Tears, where he took all the black slaves and the black Indians and black freemen out of Florida and marched them all the way to Oklahoma. Here's a guy that was a stone racist, and you put him on the $20 bill. 
And uh, so I'm glad you maybe that you took him off. And uh, but uh, ironically, here's another <laughs> here's another issue. You had uh, um, Ben Carson, who he says that he thinks that that um, that uh, Harriet Tubman should not be on the twenty dollar bill. She should be on the two dollar bill. She should be on the two dollar bill because the two dollar bill is no longer in circulation. That'd be an appropriate place to put a black woman. And that's ironic because guess what? The first president of the United States was John Hanson. He was a black man. He was the first president of the United States, and he was on the $2 bill. They took the $2 bill out of circulation because he had a black man on the back of it. And now you're going to go to, now here's Ben Carson, who is he was one of these who came straight out of Uncle Tom's cabin. Now he's going to recommend you put Harriet Tubman on the $2 bill, which means that's out of circulation. Isn't that, isn't those two ironies between Jackson on the $2 bill and putting a black woman on there? And the first black on the $2 bill was John Hanson, a black man.